Lord Jesus, you certainly are enough, more than enough for us. We need no other argument. There's no other reason that we can come into the presence of our holy heavenly Father. It is you and you alone. We worship you. We treasure you. And help us, Lord Jesus, to share you with those around us. Lord, this morning we do pray for those in Maui, those in British Columbia, those in the Northern Territories who have been devastated by fire. We ask that you would be merciful to them. We ask for people like the good, like the Samaritan's Purse that are reaching out, that they would be able to do so in the name of Jesus, that your children there would have a powerful testimony for you. Father, we pray for school as it begins specifically, Southfield Christian, ask that this year would be a year when you would grow disciples that would be pursuing you with all of their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and would be well-equipped academically to serve you in this world. And Lord, now we open your word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what your spirit would say to this church. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. It's hard to believe that, um, as Will said, summer isn't done, but it starts to feel that way. School starts again, and we sort of shift into that different mode of thinking. We've had some wonderful times at cottages and around the lakes, and now life sort of shifts back to a lot of the things that, that fill our, our regular um, year up. But I want to encourage you as we head towards the fall to consider ways that you could serve, that you could be involved here in the ministry that God has given us as a family of believers here in this church. There are so many opportunities that will be coming, especially right after Labor Day as we jump into our fall ministry season. Let me just mention a few areas where you could get involved, you could volunteer. Certainly our children's ministry can always use volunteers all the way from the nursery up through sixth grade. There's always a need for volunteers. There's a table out there in the foyer you could stop by, ask for more information, sign up for, um, to serve whenever you're able. Awana is beginning. You may have children or grandchildren that you would want to get involved, or maybe you just want to serve yourself. So that would be another opportunity. Then on Wednesday nights, right after Labor Day, everything will kick in to our regular Wednesday night programming. Oasis, our time of prayer, is always meeting all year long. That didn't stop in the summer. That keeps going. You're always welcome to the prayer room on Wednesday nights. We spend an hour and a half just praying God's word back to him. It's a really rich time. But also we have some opportunities such as Financial Peace University. We've been talking for the last month about the generosity of our God to us and our desire to be generous and return to him. Financial Peace University helps us think through biblical principles of financial planning and how to be generous as believers. We have a ministry called Reengage that we've been doing for some time where we, couples come back together and, and build into each other's lives, but just engage again as a married couple in what does it mean to live for Christ in this marriage 
and to keep that marriage fresh and glorifying the Lord. There's a table in the foyer where you could find more information, sign up for that. It's been really, really valuable for so many. Men's and women's Bible studies are going to be starting up on, on Wednesday nights and also on Tuesdays. Grief share is beginning. If you have gone through a period of grief, you've lost a loved one or just gone through a real difficult time, it's a time to gather together with others who've been walking through that same experience and encourage each other and uh, let the Lord encourage you. Then during the week, we have Mothers of Tots that begins to meet. We have Women in Prayer that begins to meet. So many opportunities. So if you go on the website, there's a, a drop-down menu of fall ministries, and all of those are lifted, listed with descriptions. You can call the church office. You can stop at tables. But I would encourage you, as uh, we begin to head into the fall, right after Labor Day, all of this kicks in. And even if you have been involved in the past, maybe there's a new place that you can get involved. If you have not been involved in any of these things, it's a great opportunity for us to grow as believers. We're committed to worshiping, growing, and going, and this is a key aspect of what, what it means to grow. If you'd open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, most of the Bibles on the seats in front of you would be page 1007. We're back into Hebrews. We spent a month looking at the joy that we have when we experience the generosity of God and we respond with generosity to God. This morning, we're stepping back into Hebrews. As you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 19 this morning, beginning with verse 19. There were a few weeks ago, Inel and I wanted to have an evening together, go out for a meal together. So we got in the car, and as we got in the car, I realized the car was pretty dirty, and so thought, let's stop by a, a car wash on the way to the restaurant. We went by a car wash we've gone to many times, but unbeknownst to us, it had changed ownership since we had last been there. So instead of just seeing the person and giving them some cash to go in, they had a little touch screen with a gate in front of it, and you paid with a credit card. So we drove up to the touch screen, and I pressed the kind of car wash I wanted and pulled out my my uh, wallet to get my credit card out and the machine just punched out a ticket for me when I didn't even show my card. The gate opened wide. I took the ticket. Now I had two choices, either to go into the car wash with my free ticket or decide, well, no, I, I'm going to leave. You know, I'm not. I went into the car wash, got a free car wash. I know. And I said, wow, this, this is the way to start off a date together. This is good. We didn't pay anything for it. Sometimes we handle the Word of God like that ticket. God gives us so much richness, so much depth, so much truth. We take the ticket, we look at it, isn't that nice? And then we don't do anything with it. It's like driving away and not going into the car wash. We, we forget to apply what we've learned. Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 10, verse 18, is a deep dive into the doctrine of Christology. Who is Jesus and what has Jesus done for us? So it's 10 chapters of deep doctrine about Jesus. Verse 19, that shifts. So be, verse 1, it began, chapter 1, verse 1, began with these words, in times past, in many ways, 
God has spoken to us through prophets, and, but in these last times, he has spoken to us through his Son. Then he goes on in those next verses. The Spirit explains that the Son of God is, in fact, the creator of the world. He's the sustainer of the world. He's the king of angels. Angels are ministering spirits who respond immediately to his commands. So the king of heaven, chapter 2, became one of us. He took on our form. He lived among us, was tempted in every way, just as we are tempted, yet without sin. Then he goes on to say, this amazing Messiah, this Jesus, this Christ, is a greater leader than Moses. Moses, who led the people of God, Jesus is a far greater leader of the people of God. He's a greater high priest than all the high priests that have ever been in the land of Israel. He is, in fact, from the line not of Aaron, but the line of Melchizedek. He's a high priest forever, and right now he represents us in heaven. He has not, he doesn't continually offer sacrifices, but he has offered one singular, sufficient sacrifice for all of our sins. He is interceding for us in the heavenly temple, not an earthly temple made by hands, but in the real presence of God. And we get to the end of this doctrinal section of Hebrews, verse 17 and 18. We read this stunning statement as a conclusion. Then he adds, verse 17 of chapter 10, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. What a tremendous conclusion to this doctrine of Christology, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. We are the recipients by God's grace of forgiveness of sins when we put our trust in Jesus. But the temptation can be to absorb all of that truth and do nothing with it. The very next word as he steps into the Holy Spirit, now the rest of the book of Hebrews is all the practical application. The very next word, chapter nine, verse 19, is this, therefore. As a result of who Jesus is, as a result of all that Jesus has done, because we have in Jesus, this salvation with the forgiveness of sins, because we have a high priest who represents us in heaven, because we have a singular sacrifice for our sins that is completely sufficient, because we have a sovereign God, because we have all of this in Jesus, verse 19, therefore, don't sit back. Don't just soak it up. Draw near to him. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, he's reviewing what we learned in that doctrinal se section, that is, through his flesh. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Don't sit back. Don't take all of this and just walk away. We need to respond, let's draw near. Verses 19, 20, and 21 recap for us in a very brief statement what we have in Jesus. 
in Jesus we have, or as the ESV puts it, since we have, verse 19, and then verse 21 again, since we have. In Jesus we have what? Verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, which is his body. Since we have confidence. Confidence, that word confidence means boldness, especially in the face of something that's very frightening or intimidating. Now, the holiness of God, to enter into the holy places, the holiness of God is intimidating. In fact, it's life-threatening. For sinners to enter into the presence of God, we cannot apart from the blood of Jesus. So we have this boldness, this confidence to enter into his presence, but even confidence in English, that English word doesn't carry everything that is there in the original language. It really means we have been given authorization to freely access the holy presence of God. We have been authorized by Jesus because of who he is and what he has done to freely access at any time, in any moment, the holy presence of God. Think of that, brothers and sisters. In the Old Testament, only the priests entered the holy place. Remember when we studied the tabernacle? And only the high priest entered the holy of holies. And only once a year after offering sacrifices for his sins, his family's sins, the nation's sins, if anyone entered in any other way, they were immediately killed. But we have been authorized because of who Jesus is and what he's done to enter into the holy presence of God. We take that so casually. It's almost cavalier the way we enter his presence sometimes, forgetting that this is an awesome, awesome moment when we step into the presence of God. We're no longer restricted to the courtyard of the tabernacle. We're no, no longer restrict, restricted to the court of the Gentiles, which is even further away. We have access into his presence. We no longer have to ask some other person to represent us. We don't go to a priest and say, can you go to God on my behalf? We don't have to go to a pastor and say, can you pray to God on my behalf? We have a high priest who is always in the presence of the Father at the right hand of the Father. Jesus himself, we have immediate, constant access to him. But how do we go to him? How do we draw near? How do we go to him? We go to him, verse 19, by the blood of Jesus. No high priest dared enter into the Holy of Holies unless he was carrying the blood of an animal that had been sacrificed. Jesus' singular sacrifice for our sin, which is sufficient, by his blood we have access. Brother and sister, if you are here and you want to, to know God and you want to get to heaven and you want to have access to God, there is no access apart from the blood of Jesus. He died for you. He died for me. He shed his blood that we should have shed our own blood. He shed perfect blood with no sin to pay for our sin. That's why we come to Jesus and we ask Jesus to forgive us for our sins. Brother and sister, there is no way to get to heaven apart from the blood of Jesus. But his Jesus, his blood gives us access 
authorization to enter into the holy presence of God. It's by the blood of Jesus, and it's by this new and living way, verse 20, by a new and living way, Jesus himself, that he opened for us through the curtain, picturing the curtain of the holy of holies. That is through his flesh. When he died on the cross, he opened a new way. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. He's the only access to the Father. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way. He's the only way to the Father. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Nobody sneaks in around him or behind his back. Only through him. That's how we have access. So in Jesus, since we have been given this authorization to enter into the holy places, the very presence of God himself, verse 22, he's going to say, let us draw near. But we have even more than that. When we look at verse 21, he says again, and since we have. Again, what do we have in Jesus? A great priest over the house of God. A great priest in his priesthood, we have both security and submission to our sovereign one. We have security because he is our priest and he stands before God on our behalf. He represents us. He has paid for us. He is a great priest, not like the other high priests. He's after the order of Melchizedek. He's a forever high priest in the very presence of God in the real temple where God himself dwells. But look at what else it says. He is a great priest over the house of God. What is the house of God? It's not just the temple, the tabernacle that was in that doctrinal sections of Hebrews. The house of God is us. We are the people of God. We are the house of God. As Colossians says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, he is the head of the body, speaking of Jesus, the church. This is a reference to the church corporately, all of us together. As Americans, we tend to privatize this, individualize this. It's me. But he's speaking to a group of believers. Together, Jesus is the, the sovereign over us. He is authority over us individually as members of this church, but corporately together. We are the house of God, and he is our sovereign. That's why that important word over us. He's a great priest over, in authority over us. So we dare not, brothers and sisters, say, I'm going to take the, the access God Jesus gives me and I want to go into the presence of God anytime I want. I'm going to accept his forgiveness of my sins. I'm going to accept the fact that I am secure because he's my high priest and he's there, but I reject the fact that he's sovereign over me. We can't do that. It all comes together. This is all Jesus. He is our sovereign high priest. So in Jesus, we have, given the, we have been given the freedom to enter into the holy presence of God. In Jesus, we have security because he's representing us before the Father. In Jesus, we have our sovereign, and so we submit to him. But it's so easy for us to be so fascinated with who Jesus is and everything he's done and everything he's accomplished for us. And then we just sit back and sort of soak it up and we can walk out of this room and do nothing with it. We walk out of this room and we forget. We walk out of this room and nothing has changed. We need to respond to this truth. And how do we respond? 
We respond by getting close to him. We respond by holding on to him. Or in the words of the Holy Spirit in these following verses, let us, verse 22, draw near. And then he says, let us hold on. Let us hold tight to this truth that we have been given. That day when Inel and I were going on this date together and we got our free car wash, we then went to a restaurant and a friend of ours had given us a gift card to that restaurant. And so we had a really, really nice meal. And that was free as well. We were driving home and we thought, wow, we got a free car wash? We got a free meal because a friend was so kind to us? But as we were driving home, I was thinking, I've got some more gift cards in my drawer at home and some of them are really old. I don't even know what they're for. Have you ever done that? Somebody gives you a gift card and you sort of, oh, it's so kind, you're so thankful, you stick it in a drawer and then it's, some of them even get lost, right? We, we never find them again. I, was, I read this week that in December of last year, a survey revealed that there is as much as $21 billion of unused or lost gift cards. $21 billion. No wonder all these stores want us to buy gift cards. You know, they know half of us won't ever use them. They just got money for free. How often do we take the gift of Jesus Christ and treat him like a gift card? It's so good. It's so nice. Oh, thank you, God. We set him aside, and we just go on with life. We need to respond to all that he is and all that he has done for us. So how do we respond? Verse 22, the Holy Spirit says, since we have this confidence to enter the holy places, since we have this great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Next week, we'll look at the next one. There's one more. And let us consider how to stir one another up. Let us draw near. Here's how we respond. All Jesus is and all he's done, let's draw near to him. Let's get close to him like a child running to his mother or, or father when they're afraid of something, when there's a dog chasing them, whatever it is. You run and wrap your arms around mom, around dad. We draw near. Are you drawing near to God? You know, children, as they grow up, and some of us, as we have been believers for a little longer, we start to loosen our grip. We don't think we need to draw near quite as often. You know, children sometimes begin to feel like, well, it's sort of strange. I'm a little old. I don't want to be hugging my mommy anymore. You know, we, we sort of lay, let a little distance develop. Some of that's good. We raise our children to grow up and, and stand on their own. But they start step, stepping away from us when they start to trust themselves. They think they can do it on their own. And how often do we think we can do life on our own? How often do we say to God, I've got this. 
I'm glad, Jesus, that you died for me. I'm glad that you've taken away my sin. I'm glad that, that you have given me eternal life. I'm going to now go on. I, I can make my life work. I, I, I know how to make a business run. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to build my house. I'm going to build my reputation. It's like we've got these two compartments in our lives. Children start to think, actually, maybe I know more than my parents. And sometimes we start to think, maybe I know better than God. We even begin to think that God's ideas are old-fashioned, that some of what he's told us here in his word is maybe even archaic. It doesn't work anymore. God says, obey your parents, and children begin to think, yeah, but if you knew who my parents were, God says, what I have joined together, Jesus' own words, let no one cut asunder, talking about marriage. And yet, how often do we as Christians say, yeah, but I know I, I made a promise in front of God and in front of the church and in front of God's people, but God wants me to be happy, and I sure am not happy, so I'm going to separate this. And Jesus said, do not separate. How many of us think, well, I know better. I, I know what really is good for me. And so we step away from God's clear guidance to us. Scripture tells us that God knits children together in their mother's womb. They are his creation. He gives life. And yet we often say, no, but I have the right because I have a right over my own body to terminate that life, even if it's violently. How often do we think we know better than God or that his word is old-fashioned? No, we are going to draw close to him. Because of all that Jesus is and all that he has done for us, we want to draw near to him, and that means he is over us. We submit to him. How do we draw near? Well, we know practically anytime we're going to draw near to somebody, if you're in a dating relationship, if you're in a family, you draw near by spending time together, right? We can't draw near to each other and just keep distance. Parents draw near to their children by doing homework with them and going to sports events with them and, and, and spending time around the, the table with them as you eat your meals. We draw near by spending time together. When we're in a dating relationship, we don't just keep our distance and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you next month. We, we spend time together. Do we spend time with God? I had, had a friend that I grew up with in West Africa. He was a missionary kid like I was. We were at boarding school together, and he really, really struggled because he didn't draw near to his parents, and he felt like his parents never drew near to him. He said, my parents are so involved serving God. I remember him telling me this. My parents are so involved serving God, doing God's work on the mission field that I just get in their way. He pulled away from them. They pulled away from him. He pulled away from Christ. And today, he doesn't walk with Jesus at all. How many of us have no longer drawn near to Jesus? We know it all. We've got these first 10 chapters, and we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, but we aren't spending time. 
we aren't sitting in His presence unrushed. Do you find yourself sometimes saying, you know, I really need to read a few verses before I run off to my day? So we read a few verses to ease our conscience and we run off. The rest of the day is ours. Or we get to the end of the day and we think, boy, I didn't really read my Bible. I didn't pray today. So we quickly pray before we go to bed. When we want to draw near to somebody, we spend time. Do you have an unrushed period in your life, in your daily life, where you just let everything else slip away and you're just in with Him? Maybe that would mean getting up earlier in the morning. Maybe that would mean not doing something that you usually do so that you can have time just with Him. Time to read His Word and not just run, but meditate on it and let it soak deep into you. Time to read a psalm and then pray that psalm back. Let that psalm become your prayer. Learn how to pray God's words back to Him. Time to, to just soak in his, what His Spirit is teaching you through the Word. Are you spending time with Him? There is no substitute for time. I learned that lesson in a powerful way from my wife. She's taught me a lot over my life. I've shared this story with some of you, but I was a little bit like my friend's parents for a long time. I was serving the Lord in Uganda, and I was committed to using all of my time for God. Churches like Highland Park were supporting me. I was not going to waste that money. I was in villages all the time. I was starting churches. I was discipling pastors. I would take my motorcycle out to a village with a backpack, had a sleeping bag in it. I would sleep in the village. I would preach. I would sleep in another village. I would preach. I was so committed. I'm not going to waste any of this time. And then one day I was at home and Inel slid a piece of paper across the table. She said, I'd like you to turn this over, read it, and sign it. I said, well, I don't know what's on it. How, what am I gonna... She said, you can read it, but I want you to sign it. I turned it over. And what was written on that paper is, I've been tracking for the last three months. Three weeks out of every month, you are not at home at night. You're out in villages, you're doing good work, you're serving God, but only seven nights per month have you been home. You have sons, you have a wife, and you're not spending time with us. Boy, did I wake up. The next part of it was, for the next six months, we're gonna, you're willing to reverse, inverse that. 21 days at least will be slept here in our house at night for every seven days you spend out there. I needed that because I was not spending time with my family, who are my greatest priority. Are you spending time with God? Would God slip a piece of paper across to you and say, I've done all of this for you. I've poured out my life for you. I want you to inverse your priorities and give me some time. How do we give him time? Well, we come, we read in this verse, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. 
Let us draw near with a true heart. What is a true heart? It just means a genuine heart, a sincere heart, not false motives, not trying to use God for our purposes, not trying to manipulate Him, not trying to get things out of Him, just coming to Him because we love Him. James wrote to the Christians in chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. How often when we spend time with God, we're just asking Him, Lord, I I need this, I I need this, I need this, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. And God says, what about just, instead of it's all for you and your passions, what about coming and, Lord, I need you. As David said, you are my portion. That's spending time with Him, a true heart. Not a heart that comes to say, I'm just here to get things from you and then I'm going to go do my stuff for today but a true heart that says, this isn't about me. This is all about you. I just want to get to know you. I want to enjoy your presence. Secondly, not only do we come with a true heart full of assurance of faith, but we come with our hearts sprinkled clean and from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. What's this about a heart sprinkled clean and bodies washed with water? Well, he's saying inwardly from your heart and outwardly in your actions, we need to come in holiness because God is holy. We're coming into holy places. That's the access we have, verse 19. And if we have access through the blood of Jesus into the holy presence of a holy God, then we need to come with a holy mind and a holy body, holy way of life. Jesus, in chapter 9, verse 14 through his sacrifice of himself on the cross, purifies our conscience. That's how deep Jesus' sacrifice cleans us. So we come with a clear conscience. Our heart is to be washed clean. We confess our sins to God, but also our lives. The body has to be clean. The way we live our lives has to be clean before him. We don't just live our own practice and do our own stuff and and then come to God and and say we want to spend time in His presence. Secondly, in verse 23, as we come to Him, we let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. We sang a song, you hold me fast, He does, but we we are to respond by holding fast to Him. What would cause us to loosen our grip? What would cause us to keep our distance? Sometimes our culture does. Our culture can tell us, well, just get with it. You know, don't, don't be old-fashioned. Just, just get with it. Keep up, keep up with progress today. But our culture's progress is just simply the lost paths of a lost generation who've turned from God. And so you have a drag queen march in New York City in June where they are shouting, we're coming for your kids. And when they were asked, why did you say that? They said, we've been saying that for years. Our culture can push us away and make us feel like we are old-fashioned or whatever, and yet when we come to God, we are to hold fast to the confession of our faith. Our nation tries to redefine gender And yet, Scripture from the very beginning, when God created us, He created us male and female. God defines gender. We don't redefine it. 
It's God's definition. Sin twists us, and so we love people who are caught in sin. We don't reject the people. We love them. We were all sinners too. We still are sinners, just saved by God's grace. So as a church, we have no right to go out there and be caustic and angry against people who are caught up with gender dysphoria and struggling. That is a result of our lostness. We love them, but we still hold, hold fast to the confession of our faith. Schools teach evolution as if it was fact instead of theory. But in the beginning, God created. We hold fast to our faith. We hold fast, as the scriptures say, to the confession of our hope. Culture tells us to keep our faith to ourselves. The scripture says, no, it's a confession. You put it out there. You tell people. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with, with the heart that one believes and is justified, but it's with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. We must confess. It's a confession that we hold fast to. That means we keep talking. When was the last time you confessed Jesus before some people who didn't believe in him? Can you remember the last time you did that? Or is it easier to remember the last time you just kept quiet when you could have said something? You see, we hold fast to the confession of our faith. It's, it's, it's a hope that we have that's a confidence in what is yet unseen. We're going to see that in chapter 11. It's not just something out there, some, some fairy tale hope. This is a confident hope. And what is it all based on? What is this confession of our faith based on? Verse 23 at the end, for he who promised is faithful. It's based on the faithfulness of God. It's not because I'm going to hold on and I'm going to never give up. It doesn't matter what anyone says to me. No, it's because he's holding on to us that we hold on back to him. It's because he sent Jesus and did all of this for us that we trust Jesus and we hold on to him and we draw near to him. The foundation of our hope is God's character. In chapter 6 and verse 18, the Spirit of God said to us in Hebrews, it's impossible for God to lie. We can trust him. G Jeremiah talks about how great God's faithfulness is. I love what God said through Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 14. I'm the Lord. I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. God is always trustworthy. And so we hold fast to the confession of our faith why? Because he who has promised us eternal life in his presence, he's faithful, and we can trust him. So we're at a turning point in the book of Hebrews. Everything up to this point, up to chapter 10, verse 18, is the doctrine of Christology. Who is Jesus and what has he done for us? Verse 19 of chapter 10, all the way to the end, is therefore, how should we live? What do we do? And the first thing we're told to do, don't sit back. Don't just appreciate all that you've learned about Jesus. Draw near and hold on tight. Lord Jesus, help us to respond to the wonder of who you are and your stunning, amazing gift to us. Help us to respond 
by drawing near. Lord, some of us have really spent very little time in your presence. Maybe this morning we jumped up and got ready and grabbed something to eat and made sure our clothes looked okay and we came here and we we haven't spent any time in your presence. Maybe some of us can look back at the last week and it was just a few minutes here or there. Forgive us for wanting to know so much and yet not wanting to draw near and help us to hold fast to the confession of the hope that you've placed within us. Help us to be bold in telling people, confessing with our mouth and with our lives that we are yours. We love you. We can never repay you. But we not only bow in worship, we walk out of this room to worship you this week as we draw near to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.